morning, church. <laughs> it's good to be with you this morning. Um, you got me, Wendy. I, you, I was on a roll, and I was like, oh, wait, we're going over here? Okay, now i got to come back. All right. Um, it's really good to be with you this morning. We are going to be covering, or we're going to be taking a next look at the next chapter of our series that we've called Di Yahweh. And so the question that we've asked is, how does God get stuff done in the world? Um, you know, DIY is do it yourself, but if you're God and your name is Yahweh, then how do you do stuff? And we know from the very beginning of the story that he has the power and he has the authority to just speak and stuff happens. He says, let there be light, and light exists. And so if you have that kind of power, doesn't, wouldn't you think that you would just exercise that kind of power all the time? Like, we're like, we like efficiency. And it doesn't seem like you can get more efficient than like, room, clean up, carpet, vacuum. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful if you could just say it? Like that's why we get so fascinated with Harry Potter and why we tell these stories about wizards and, and magical brooms and things that can clean up the room by themselves. Like We like that kind of idea. But imagine this, that God in his infinite power and his ability to create things just with a the, with the word chooses instead to use people to accomplish his work in the world. There's something in, in what he is trying to accomplish that he thinks it's wiser, he thinks it's maybe not more efficient, but he thinks it's wiser for him, infinite and all-powerful, to use finite and really, really wimpy people who don't listen well, who don't follow instructions well, and who don't do a good job of getting along. Why is it that God chooses to use people in the world? And so we've, we've taken a look over the last couple of weeks, we're now in week six of this series, We've taken a look over the last couple of weeks at a couple of the projects that God has, has worked on. And we saw um, him call Moses out and use Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. We saw him um, lead people to rebuild the altar and rebuild the temple after Israel had been put in time out for a number of years. We saw him rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And then last week, hopefully, I shot myself in the foot. If you were paying attention... I'm hoping that I put this question in your mind. All of those things were things that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures. They were things that were specific to Israel. And they were building projects that God wanted to accomplish in Jerusalem. We're not Israelites. We, we don't have that same kind of relationship with God. And so does God want to do that kind of thing with us? Isn't, didn't, when Jesus show up in the world, didn't he change everything and refocus, realign our focus to the heart of the issue and real, help us to realize that ministry is about how we treat one another? Ministry is about people, not about projects, building things, stone upon stone. And so if I have successfully completely undermined everything we did in those first four weeks, I'd like to begin to rebuild for where we are today. We want, I want to take a look at what Jesus does with the disciples, specifically. He's with them for a number of years, and he has a very limited amount of time that he has to spend with them. And so I'm interested to see what it is that he does to them. How is it that he sends them out? How is it that he invites them to participate in the work that he's doing in the world? So if you would like to look at that with me, then I'd invite you to stay awake. 
and uh, we'll pray together. God, thanks so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that is above really bad jokes. Lord, I thank you that um, you have given us the gift of humor, and some of us more than others. And Lord, I just pray that those things which might be distracting to us from your word would be quickly forgotten. Lord, I pray that as we look to your word, that it would be clear to us the ways that you have worked in the past. And that, Father, as we reflect on our own lives and we reflect on our own hearts, as we reflect on the way that you have walked with us in the world, Lord, we pray that you would show us the things that are consistent, the things that are different, and the things you have for us this week. Lord, would you speak clearly? Would you move our hearts to follow you? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 9. And if you've got a a blue Bible there in front of you, you should be able to read this uh, from outer space. The text is giant print. Uh, It's on page 1081 in the blue Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to study Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 22, and Luke chapter 24 today. We're going to read a couple of different passages and try to piece them all together. But remember the question that I was asking is, how does Jesus send the disciples out? What do the, what do the marching orders look for them, look like for them? So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 9, page 1081 in the Blue Bible. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. And he, being Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart." And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I'm going to pause there. So we looked last week about how Jesus went and spent some time in prayer. And at the end of that time, set apart 12 men to be his apostles, his, his special disciples. I'm going, to, I'm going to spend special time with you guys. You guys are going to follow me everywhere. I'm going to be your rabbi, your teacher, and we're going to live together. You're going to be my disciples. And so he sets apart these 12 men, and now he's taking these guys aside and saying, hey, I'm going to send you out. I've got a special mission that I'd like for you to do. And what is the mission that he gives them? Or, or what, is the, um, yeah, what is the mission that he gives them? Preach the gospel and heal people. Announce that the kingdom is at hand and heal people. All right? Which you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And what are some of the specific instructions that he gives them? Don't take anything with you. Here's a question, and I'm going to ask for your participation. Who has more than one outfit in their possession? Sinners. All of you, sinners. Jesus says clearly here you should only have one outfit, and that's the only pair of clothing that you should wear. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you should only have one set of clothes. Right? How many of you have food in your refrigerator? 
You should not have food in your refrigerator. You should only trust what the Lord was going to provide for what you need that day. How many of you stayed in your own home last night? You need to go to a stranger's house and live with them. <laughs> Jesus gives some very specific and very challenging instructions to his, his, his disciples here. He's saying, look, I don't want you to take anything with you. I don't want you to take any money. I don't want you to take any food. I just, I just want you to go, and I want you to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand, preach the gospel, the good news that I am coming to reign as king, and heal people. And they go and they do it. And, and, and sometimes you're going, to walk into, you're going to walk into a neighborhood and it's going to be real clear that they don't want anything to do with you. And if they don't want anything to do with you, okay, it's time to move on. I love, like, some, something about this, like, gives me some assurance that if people aren't receptive, like, there comes a time where you can just walk away. Like, I came to you with the truth. You said no. Like, I, how long am I going to stand here and try to convince you? Like, just walk away. Shake the dust off of your feet and move on. Like, I love that Jesus gives permission to move on when people are just being stubborn. And he does it. So, he says, proclaim and heal. Take no provisions. Stay with whoever. And then if it doesn't go well, leave. And there's a whole lot of things that happen in chapter 9. I, I was very tempted to go through the whole rest of the chapter with you because this is the chapter where the, the disciples understand very clearly that Jesus is Messiah. Like they knew he was a teacher. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he had power. But in Luke chapter 9, they begin to understand like not only is all of that true, like he is Messiah. He is the chosen one from God, the son of God sent to save the whole nation. And, and, and Peter gets a hold of it, and Jesus is like, hey, good job. Like, you're not smart enough to figure that out on your own, like God had to tell you. And then God literally does show up and tell them. He says, hey, this is my son. He's really, really cool. You ought to listen to the things that he says. So chapter 9, if you're looking for some, where should I study, where should I read this week? Chapter 9 might be a thing, so just letting you know. But at the beginning of this, he sends them out. And I think that that's really, really interesting because... I am the kind of person who wants to understand something completely before I sign on. People uh, get frustrated with me because my father taught me to read all of a contract before I put my name on it. And they're like, look, in order to change your oil, I just need you to sign this piece of paper. I'm like, yeah, but what else have you hidden in here? Like, I need to read the whole thing. And like 20 minutes later, like, you really, come on. Like, we could have been done here already. So I'm the kind of person that really does like to understand the details of what's going on. But here's the thing. The apostles, the disciples at this stage knew, I want to follow Jesus. He's got more power than I've ever seen. There's something strange happening here. But they didn't completely understand what was happening. And still they chose to follow. Not only to follow, but to be sent out. There is an idea that you have to understand everything about the Bible before God can use you. It's not true. <clears throat> we celebrated this weekend my ordination, and, and that, um, for me, was the first time I felt like I hit a milestone in my life, that I actually had accomplished something. So it was really, really strange. But all of the years and study and the things that I have acquired, the knowledge that I have acquired, like, yes, that sets me apart for a different kind of ministry, but that does not mean that you who are not ordained do not have something that God wants to use you for. 
You do not have to have a complete and total understanding of the Scriptures before God can use you in your neighbor's life. It is enough for you to say, I don't understand all of this. Like, Michael says some weird stuff on Sundays, and I don't really get it. It just goes way over my head. But what I know is this, that Jesus has made a difference in my life. He's got power beyond anything that I've seen somewhere else, and he has changed me as a person. I will follow him, and I will be sent out by him. Do we trust that Jesus can provide for our needs? He says, look, I'm going to send you out. Don't take anything with you. Don't take a change of clothes. I'm going to take care of you. And that's a big step of faith. Do we trust that Jesus is going to provide for our needs? That happens when we are trying to balance our paycheck. When we're we're trying to figure out, like, I'm in the red here, God. And that applies, too, when God is, is tugging at our heart, like, go tell your neighbor. Like, share with your neighbor what I'm doing in your life right now. I know you don't have all the answers, but what you have, share. Do we trust that Jesus can provide for our needs? We've already seen that God's projects are designed to renovate God's people. And the steps of faith that he asks us to take are the steps of renovation of our hearts. So this is the first time that he sends them out. The next time that he sends them out is just the next chapter over. If you look in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to begin in verse 1 again. So after everything that happened in chapter 9, which is a lot, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come to
70 or 72? Eh, I don't know. Anyway, I'll just, that was extra. That was not in my notes. <clears throat> so he pulls out 72 in addition to, I think, the 12. So it's even more than 70 or 72. And he sends them out. And he sends them out in twos, in teams of two, where he sent them out one by one before, like the 12 kind of scatter. He's sending them out in pairs, like you guys go and hang out together. He's making a team effort this time. That's different. Huh. <clears throat> you know, we might have studied recently that God prepares circumstances to build teams built for his work. He says, hey, as you guys are going, I want you to pray. The Lord, or the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I read this and go, you're sending out 72 people. What do you mean the laborers are few? How many, like, what is our, what do our laborer, what does our labor pool look like here at Grace Church this morning? If we could send out 72, I'd be ecstatic. It just makes me wonder what's going on here. And nevertheless, God's perspective is not my perspective. And he says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. God is the one who's going to fill the needs. God is the one who's going to provide the missing spiritual gifts to any congregation. And if we think that any ministry that we're going to do apart from God, for God, is going to have any lasting effect, we're wrong. The scariest verses in the Bible are when Jesus says that in the day of judgment, people will come up to you and say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we teach? Do you realize that that means there will be church people who have done things for Jesus their whole life, and Jesus will say, I don't know who you are. It's the scariest verse in the Bible. So as they are going, he says, pray. You're not going to be able to do this by yourself. He says, pray. Lodge with fellow believers. That's, that's about as close as I can get to making sense of what he says about when you enter somebody's house. Say, the peace be on you. And if it's a man of peace, then you So what's going to happen is you're going to walk up into the neighborhood. You're going to go to somebody's house. You're going to say, peace be And he's like, oh, like, come in. Like, you know, peace. Um, we're not Jewish. We don't do this all the time. But the way they say hello is shalom. Shalom means peace. So walk up to somebody and say shalom. And if they say shalom back to you, then you guys are in the same, in the same neighborhood. Like, you guys are on the same team. Stay with that person. Stay, essentially, stay with the first Jew you meet. These are Jewish guys going out on a Jewish mission. Meet other Jews, like hang out with them. So this is a little bit different too. He sends them in twos. He says, you guys need to go in prayer. He says, and go to people who already have some kind of a relationship with me. Stay with those people. And whatever it is that they provide for you, eat that. There's a couple of different ways I could talk about this. <laughs> Sometimes you wish that people had less hospitality. <laughs> oh, you really, you really shouldn't have cooked this. Like, like, maybe you should have cooked it a little bit less. Or like, sometimes when people are trying to be hospitable, we're like, this doesn't taste good, right? And I don't think that that's, I don't think he's talking about manners here so much. But I think there's times where we can say, no, 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 I'm going out to serve God. Like, let me serve you. And we won't allow other people to serve us as well. Love ends up being a two-way street. As you go to serve other people, they will want to serve you too. They will want to provide for you. And there's a false piety. There's a false pride that says, like, no, I don't need, I don't need support. I take care of myself. Like, no, let people help you. 
As you're going, let people help you. Don't complain about it. Be thankful. Because they've got something to do too. They've got something that's going on there too. Okay. Uh, teams of two, pray, lodge with fellow believers. The, the, the message is the same. Heal and proclaim. And I think the proclaiming, I think the healing is a sign that the proclamation is legit. Because this is the nation of Israel. They've had a whole lot of things going on. And, and their understanding of how God works is he works through signs. They had Moses. He had a staff. He had a burning bush. He had the Red Sea. Like, when, when Israel sees stuff, they're like, well, is God in this? Like, are there signs to go along with it? So when somebody shows up and says, the kingdom is at hand, like, well, prove it to me. And they do this all the time. Sometimes Jesus gives them a sign. Sometimes he doesn't. It just depends on who they are. But here he's saying, here's the sign that the kingdom is near. Heal people. And they do. They go out and they do it. And then here's that lovely thing of, like, if they don't receive you, peace out. It's okay. So there's a lot of different questions that come to me as I'm thinking through this, but here's a question that I think is, is, is pertinent to us, Grace. Are we a family that receives those on God's mission? See, th- their commandment here is, as the 72 plus is to go and lodge with people who already have a relationship with God. Like a Part of your mission is to let other Christians minister to you. Are we a family who's open to receiving people who are on God's mission. Could somebody come to our house and could they lodge with us? Could we support them as they're going on? Would we be willing to share our cooking with them? Would we be willing to let them see the mess in our house? I'll just say for me, like, my house ain't clean. Y'all cool with that? You drop in my house on a Tuesday, you're going to have to kick some stuff out of the way. Am I willing to lay down my own pride enough to let people literally into my home? And that can go both ways. We can say like, oh, well, I don't have a nice enough house to have people over. Or we can say, no, my house is too nice for the kind of people that I want over. And both of those are wrong. What God has given you, he's given you to share with other people. So Grace, are we a family that receives those who are on God's mission? Do we invite people into our homes? Do we let them see the real us? Whatever that may be. So we've looked at two different times that Jesus sends out his apostles. And here's the big idea. That's not going to come up. God uses many methods to accomplish his one mission. God uses many methods to accomplish his one mission. Do you see that there are different things that are happening here? He's still sending people out to do his work. But the instructions are different. You guys go by yourselves. You guys go in pairs. Make sure that you guys are praying together. You guys go and stay with whoever you can get a room with. You guys go and make sure that you find other believers that are going to support you. Find a person of peace. Like, the the instructions are different. God uses many methods to accomplish his same mission, his one mission. And what is the mission as, as they understand it here? They're proclaiming the kingdom of God. They're showing the sign that the kingdom of God is near by healing people. Are we kind of comfortable with that? 
We're kind of like, okay, like that's kind of a churchy thing. I get it. God uses a bunch of different ways. He's got one mission. Cool deal. All right. <clears throat> let's go to a passage that's really going to get our goat. Let's go to a challenging one. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 22. In the blue Bibles, we're on page 1100. 1100. Luke chapter 22. And I'd like to look at verse 31. And just to set the scene for you, we're flash-forwarding two, maybe three years from the time that we were talking about before. We're flash-forwarding to the time that we know as the Last Supper. So this is Jesus' last night on earth. And he sits down and he shares a meal. He does the Passover meal. And then he gives them the communion. He says, break this bread, drink this cup. Is my body, is my blood of the covenant. Like He's doing some strange things. And the boys are trying to figure out, wrap their head around what's happening. And so as Jesus is saying, hey, like I'm going to lay down my body and my blood for you, <clears throat> his disciples start to argue like, Who's, who's number one? <laughs> who's the best disciple? I followed Jesus better than you did. No, I'm going to be the best. And no, I'm going to be the best. So they're arguing about this. He says, hey, you guys have completely missed the whole deal. And look with me in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That just makes me think that Simon was the one, Peter was the one who was most adamant that he was the best disciple. Like Jesus calls him out right there. I'm praying for you because Satan's at your door. And when, he turned, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Verse 35, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, uh, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to him, it is enough. Okay, so we've seen now two times where Jesus has sent the apostles out, and he said, hey, like, don't take anything with you. I'm going to provide everything that you need. Here, he just completely, like, no, no, no. Like, what happened? And I think it's so interesting. Hey, hey, how did you guys do the last time I sent you out? Like, did you have needs for things? Like, no, Lord, like, you provided everything we need. He's like, great, I'm not going to do that anymore. Everything's going to be different now. And, not, like, if you, if you have money, take the money with you. And if you have a cloak, take the cloak with you. Actually, never mind. Don't take the cloak with you. Sell the cloak and buy a sword. You're going to need it. But here's what's interesting to me. Sell your cloak and buy a sword that the Scripture may be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. We read that Scripture this morning in Isaiah 53. He was numbered with the transgressors. And what's about to happen to Jesus Who's getting ready to walk in 
and try to give him a kiss. Judas. Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed. And the charges that are against him are trumped up. Like they're made up. They're false. He's saying, look, you guys need to go and make sure that we have a sword. They're like, we've got two. That's enough. Think about this. There's 11 guys, 11 disciples, and Jesus. There's 12 guys. 12 guys and two swords. How many hands can you fit on a sword? Like maybe one. A big sword, two. There's how many hands? I can't do the math. We got 12 guys times two. 24 guys. 24 hands to two swords. Is it enough? No. Is he talking about defense? No. Peter doesn't understand that yet, but he will. He's not talking about defense. He's saying, look, we got to have some swords with us. Why? Because the scripture needs to be fulfilled that I was numbered with the transgressions. You got to understand there's a people, there are people out there that are looking for an excuse to arrest me. If we have swords, they will assume that we are violent. And so when they come up and they come to arrest Jesus, Peter's like, I got the swords! And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is not what we're doing. Let me heal. This is not, that's not it, Peter. Like, that's just sit down. Just sit down. It's not what we're talking about here. But they now had grounds to arrest him. Because there were swords among the disciples. There were grounds now that they could say, there's a violent band of criminals running around and they're spreading and they're saying that they're going to destroy the temple and they're going to burn it down and we need to cut out this rebellion. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm doing. It's what I'm doing, but it's not how you say I'm doing it. I've come to restore something that's broken in you. I've come to tear out your old heart and give you a new one. I'll murder you, yes, but I'll give you my life because you don't know that you're already dead as it is. And then look, remember when I told you guys not to take anything with you? It's different now. I've got a different purpose that I'm going. And what's the difference? The difference is the timing. The difference is the situation. The difference is they're in Jerusalem on the night that he's to be betrayed. So do we take a knapsack or no? Like, I, I want to follow Jesus. Should I, should I have more than one pair of clothes? I want to follow Jesus. Should I sell my extra clothes for swords? understand why you would tell me to do this thing. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to do the thing that does make sense to me that's opposite of what you said. 
And then I'm frustrated that it doesn't work out the way that I meant for it to. God, this isn't clear. Like, why would you say it that way? You must not have meant what you're saying. My way makes more sense. Do we trust God's word even when we don't see clearly? Why would I pick up a sword? I don't know. Just carry a sword with you, Peter. You don't, don't take it out, but just carry it with you. I've got something specific I want to accomplish. Let's look at the end of the mission here in Luke chapter 24, just a couple pages over. We know Jesus is murdered, crucified, buried. We know that he arose again on the third day. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now we see in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, that the disciples are walking around trying to figure out what to do next. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you, have see, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? <laughs> and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. I just want to pause and say, he did what he told them to do, find a person of peace. Like, was, I think that's cool. Verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the mission. Did you see it? We read it in Matthew's version every, every week. We read it together. But we see here, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's the mission. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It's hard sometimes when you see sin in somebody's life. And you go, I don't know if it's my business to be involved with some of that. The only confidence that I personally have to identify sin in another person is that Jesus has already forgiven it. The problem, the problem that breaks my heart is to see somebody stuck in something that God has already tried to wipe clean. It's almost as if they've taken up a debt that Jesus has already paid, and they're still trying to put down payments on interest. And he's like, no, I paid it. Like, no, I gotta, I gotta, ugh, this is my life. I gotta do this. I'm like, no, you've been set free from that. And so he sends him out to proclaim repentance, the forgiveness of sins in his name. Because God's renovated people love their neighbors. And there's an essence in which 
as we do this, as we follow Jesus, our lives look different and people may ask questions. And I hope that that's true. But I want to just highlight the fact that Jesus says you got to proclaim it. You don't have to have a complete understanding of the scripture and be able to walk from Genesis to Revelation about how all the things connect, because it's hard. It takes a while to get a grasp on that. But you do have to be able to explain what it is that Jesus has done in your life with words. Yes, your life should reflect that, but you also ought to be prepared to have a conversation with somebody about the gospel. There is a consistently, the thing that he tells his disciples is you've got to say something. It's not enough to just live it out. You're going to have to articulate it at some point. Both are necessary. So the question then is, will we be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection to our neighbors? See, God uses many methods to accomplish his one mission. And the specifics of what those methods are may change with time, though the mission stays the same. And my hope is that you're asking now, so what is our method? What is, what is our role? How does God want to use me in my community with my neighbors, my family, my friends? And I'd invite you to continue to pray about that. And we'll continue to talk about it over the next couple of weeks. But for now, understand that God uses many methods to accomplish his one mission. Let's pray together.